This morning for our gospel lesson, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 21 of Luke chapter 4. When he came to Nazareth, there had, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found it in the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've heard it said before, no one ever leaves church saying, Boy, I just wish that had been longer. No one, ever, no one ever wishes for that longer sermon. That's not something that people um, really want to do. I, I'm, believe it or not, my sermons now are shorter than they used to be. I used to preach a lot longer. I've been trying to get more focused, especially being online. I, I know I tend to ramble. So I've been trying to be a little more concise and kind of follow my outline more and kind of make sure, that, particularly as I've been sharing my outlines with you online that you can follow along. I want to make sure that what I'm saying matches what you have on the paper. Um, but so I've been trying to be a little bit more concise, and it's not always easy to do. Uh, probably the most concise I ever was in my ministry was when I served in the Delta. Because there I had three small churches, Boyle, Lynn, and Lytton, and I preached each Sunday at each church. And the challenging thing was this. There, there, well, the main thing was this. I had to drive from church to church, but because I had to be at the next church in time to start, I really did have a, um, a back end. Like I had to, I had a backstop. I had to be done at a certain point because I had to drive 10 to 15 minutes to get to the next church. So I could not go on and on forever or else I would not make it to the next church on time. Uh, poor Holly. Um, she went with me every Sunday uh, after we got married to hear me preach at all three churches. And uh, her joke to me used to always be this. If I wanted her honest opinion, I needed to ask her after the second sermon, after Lynn, because by the first sermon, she wasn't really awake paying attention. And by the third sermon, she hated it. So my best chance for an honest opinion for her was going to come from when I uh, preached it after my, after my second sermon. Today, we see Jesus preach his first sermon. Jesus had already, in Luke's gospel, he had started his ministry, but this really was really his first time to come into the synagogue that we are aware of to, to preach and, and, to, and to teach. In this, and this would have been his, one, of his first, one of his first preaching attempts. Not attempts, but his first preaching times. You see, you see the interesting things about this tradition there, how in their tradition, the preacher didn't, didn't, isn't doing like I'm doing here, standing up in front of you and preaching. The preacher, would, the preacher or the rabbi, the leader, would have sat down. They would have sat down in the seat and everyone would have, would have turned their eyes towards him. Jesus did a lot of teaching and preaching, but this would have been, a lot of his teaching and preaching was outside the scope of the synagogue. It says here, it was his custom to go to the synagogue, but he is teaching specifically from the synagogue, and they respect him. They give him authority. They view him as a rabbi. So he sits down, and he begins to teach. This looks like, for most of the religious folks there in the, in the synagogue, um, a typical sermon. The, the rabbi would read the, from the scroll of the Old Testament, and they would illuminate upon it. They would give you 
arguments and reflections and spiritual truths based off the text they just read. Jesus didn't do that today, did he? (laughs) In fact, he preached a relatively short sermon. But unlike the short sermon that I choose not to preach on Sundays, his sermon left an indelible mark upon the people. He preaches a short and to the, ser- to the point sermon. It was a mic drop sermon, if you will. He says, he, pre- he read the text, then he says, this teaching has been fulfilled today in your presence. Mic drop. Boom. Straight to the point. This Old Testament promise that you think about, it has now been fulfilled in me. And the prophets, we, we talked a little bit about this if you follow our online video devotionals this week, our Rooted in Christ devotionals. The, the role of the prophet was interesting. We often associate the prophet with a future-telling uh, dimension. In fact, we see today, actually, Jesus is saying, this is, he's saying this prophecy that was given has now been fulfilled in me. But honestly, for most of the prophets, their, their responsibility wasn't really that of fortune-telling or future-telling, if you will. It was more about speaking the word that God had for the people to hear in that moment. And usually for the prophets, their main criticism or critique or, or statement about the people was that they need to treat the poor with worth and not cheat them, but treat the poor properly, look out for the least, the last, and the lost, particularly for Luke, that's a big deal. And then cease through their idolatry. You've heard me talk about idolatry and what that means, how idolatry was much about protection and lack of faith and it wasn't anything else. But that was their two main overarching concerns the prophets were. They would have elements that pointed towards the future and that would really speak to the future. But for most prophets, that wasn't the main bulk of their teaching. Most of their teaching dealt with the reality on the ground for the Israelites in that moment. And typically that teaching was do not cheat the poor and do not worship idols. Those are the two main commands that the prophets were given to the people over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, there was, much, there was a great call for the Jewish people to be involved with the plight of the poor. We see it all throughout, all throughout the Old Testament. The year of Jubilee is a common. We're going to talk about that in just a second, what the year of Jubilee was. But so often, the actions of the people, or kind of like what we think about within our faith, we think about how our faith is not something that we have, but more something that we do. Treat the poor with respect. Do this. Do that. And Jesus today does something interesting. He says, this text that you just read, this scroll that we just read from, it is fulfilled now. But notice, the fulfillment is not necessarily something that the people were supposed to do But the fulfillment that they see is now in the form of a person. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy. This prophecy is not fulfilled by the faithful actions of the people. But this prophecy is fulfilled in the coming and in the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. Of all these things. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of this. He is the one to whom this is all pointing. 
He is the one through it is all fulfilled through. He is the very promise of all these things, the promise of the restoration, the promise of the hope, the promise of all these things. He says, this is fulfilled not in what you do, but this is fulfilled in me. I am the the fulfillment of all of this. All of this is coming true in me. It is coming true in Jesus Christ. He is the one that all this is coming to. This isn't fulfilling your presence. Well, because they sit down, but he's already sitting down. Goodness gracious. Can you imagine when you're used to them, the, the, the rabbi giving long diatribes? I don't mean diatribe in a bad way. That's just they would give long speeches about the law. Jesus reads the Old Testament and says, Yep, this is done now in me. I am the fulfillment of this. I am the fulfillment of this. His teaching today <coughs> is interesting. We, when, we, when we look at what, um, when we, when we look, look at uh, what we see here, he says some interesting uh, things in this, in this message. I want to kind of unpack for you what he, what he tells us. He says, let me read, I'm going to read verses 18 through 19, which is the bulk of his, it's the text he reads from. And then he says, it's fulfilled. But he says here, it says, The Spirit of the Lord's upon me, as he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed grow, grow free, go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to talk real quick about the things that he says are going to happen here. Because this is one of those interesting things we see in the Gospels. Things sometimes the Gospels <coughs> will have dual, dual meanings or dual purposes. So, for instance, he's only me to bring good news to the poor. This has a very practical application for the hearers of Jesus' day and for you and me as well. He's, he, he's telling, he's been anointed to bring good news to the poor. As Christians, we're supposed to be bringing good news to the poor. And good news to the poor isn't just simply saying, as you know, James says, you see someone in need, do not tell them to go be warm, but do something for them. As Christians, in an age of plenty, and Christians, when we have resources and gifts, we are called to take good news to the poor. Jesus did tell us the poor will always have the poor with us, but we're called in our times, in our places, with all that we are to work for the betterment of all people, especially those in need. That is our calling. But when you look at this text here, good news to the poor, the word poor here doesn't just mean those that are in physical poverty, but it is Talking about those in what in the commentaries I read this week, what's called pious, the pious poor. In other words, those who are poor, what Jesus would call in the in the Mount, poor in spirit. This is good. The coming of Jesus is good news to the physical poor, because as Christians we're called to take the not just the good news of Christ, the physical poor, but we're called to take the help of of Christ through our hands and feet to the physical poor. It's good news to the pious poor. For those who realize that they bring nothing to the table but their need. One of my favorite books in all the world is a book by Brendan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He sums, he sums up the gospel in this. The gospel is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. To be poor in spirit is to realize that our need and our dependence for God that we can't do it ourselves, that we can't save ourselves, that we don't even have what we need within ourselves to save ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
That's what Jesus is saying here. I've come to bring good news to the poor. Yes, we as Christians should be dedicated with all that we are to helping the poor in our midst. But it isn't just that. When we understand our need for Christ, we find in Christ all that we need. Jesus is here saying good news to the poor, those that are in need. Then he says, proclaim release to the captives. So, yes, he's talking about release to those that are in, in, in captivity of some sort. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with prisoners. If you go read Matthew 25, we're supposed to visit the prisoners. We're supposed to find commonality and find brotherhood with the prisoner. We're called to by the Gospels. Ministries like Kairos, ministries like Angel Tree that we support here at our church are important for us as a church to find common ground with those even in prison. Because Christ died for them as well. But the word captivity here doesn't just refer to physical captivity, just like poverty. This is not just about physical poverty or physical captivity, but those that are captive to the power of sin. The scriptures tell us that, that, that uh, we are all captive to the God of this age is what it calls the devil at one point later in the scripture. That our captivity is not just physical, but our captivity is often spiritual. That we are spiritually captive to the forces of sin in the world and frankly the, spirit of, the forces of sin within our own lives. That we are often captive to our own desires and our own wants and our own sins and our own flesh and our own lust. As Paul says in Romans, the very things I should not do are the very things that I do. And the very things I should, I should do are the very things I don't do. Paul says, I'm captive to my flesh. I'm captive to my sin. Jesus is saying here, he's come to bring release to the captives. Release to those that are in captivity, but also release to those that are bound up in our sin that are captive to our sin. He has come to break the chains of our captivity. He has come to set us free. He has come to release us from the effect of our sin. He's come to restore us from what sin has taken. He's come to those of us that realize that he is what we need. He's come to release us from the sin. Then he says, I've come to, to, to bring recovery of sight to the blind. This is much, if you go back and look in the Gospels, healing the blind is one of the main miracles that Jesus performs over and over again because there's something deeply spiritual. Jesus comes here for physical healing. Yes, our physical nature is important. We're not dualists. We're not Gnostics. Every one of these has a physical component. We're called to help the poor. We're called to help the prisoner. We're called to look out for the physical health of others. These are all Commands of Christ for us as Christians and as the church. But there's also the spiritual component. He's come to let us know that he's all we need. And if he's all we need, we'll find it to him. He's come to release us from captivity to our sin. He's come to heal our sight. Not just physical sight, y'all, but spiritual. Over and over in the Gospels, he heals the sight of those. He restores our ability to see. Once again, Scripture says that we are blinded by sin. We're blinded by our stuff. We're blinded by our sin and our doubt and our fear and our worry and our hate. Sin blinds us. Think about Paul. What happens? He's blinded. Then he recovers his sight and he can see. He's come not just to heal, heal our physical sight, heal our physical health, but recover our spiritual sight. I once was blind, but now I see. So often we miss life all around us. So often we miss Jesus all around us because we don't see. 
because we don't see. We need to be looking. And Jesus can heal and restore our sight. To let the oppressed go free. This is much like a captivity. There are those that are oppressed by sin, oppressed by this world. Jesus came to break away and bring freedom to all who are in need. But just like with captivity, we're held captive and we're, we're oppressed by the wages of sin in our life. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee is an interesting, uh, an interesting concept. The year, the year of Jubilee is a year that we see often in, see in, 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 the, in the command of Scripture that the Jewish people were called to, in the year of Jubilee, return the ancestral land to those for whom it was taken and to restore it. The, the, those that were in debt were forgiven. Those who had things against them were set free. Jubilee was a sense of restoration to restore what had been taken throughout the years. But Jubilee was also a sense of reminder that everything we have, our possessions, our stuff, all these gifts, were not given because of our own ability. They were given because of God. They are truly gifts. They're truly gifts given to us. Let's say you work hard and you achieve in your life. Well, who gave you the good health to work hard? The Lord. Who gave you the work ethic to work hard? The Lord. The Bible tells us in James that all good gifts come from above. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference to the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is a year of resetting and a restoration. In a year where those who do not have are restored. In a year where those who do have are reminded that all that they have is a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. All of it. All of it. And the worst mistake we can make in our life is to think it doesn't come from God. One of my, one of my favorite encouragements from God is in the Old Testament when the Jewish people are getting ready to cross over the promised land, into, uh, into the, uh, cross over the Jordan to the promised land. And the scriptures tell us that the Lord tells them, you're going you're gonna to live in houses you did not build. And drink from cisterns that you did not dig. Do not think you've done this by your own hand. But you've done it by the hand of God. Yes, we're called to work hard with all that we are. We're called to work to be faithful. To work to, 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 with all that we, ha we have. I think of what I was told by Dr. Bryson in seminary. Prepare thinking it depends upon you. Preach knowing it depends upon God. I want to prepare these sermons. I want to preach these sermons thinking it's all up to me and that I've got to get it right and I've got to do my best and I've got to, I've got to thread the eye of the needle. I've got to do it. I want to prepare and work in that manner. But I know that's not the truth. I know that it depends upon God. My job is to be faithful. But God is the one who does it. That's what Jubilee teaches us. To hear, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. The poor hear, hear the good news. The captive and the oppressed, they, they receive release. The blinders healed. We're in the year of the Lord's favor. We receive God's goodness. 
Jesus says, these things have been fulfilled. Have been fulfilled in me. Today we see the effect of sin, both physically and spiritually, in people's lives. And to me, I think that's what Jesus is saying, ultimately, is that sin has corrupted and destroyed and taken. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is it says that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. He's come to restore what the devil's taken. He's come to restore what the devil has robbed from us as humans and robbed from creation. He's come to restore it, both physically and spiritually, both in the world and in us. So we need to do the same, y'all. We need to be about the work of God that we've heard here. We need to be about the work of dealing with poverty in the world. Particularly in this Christmas season, y'all, one of the things I'm proudest of our church about is that we have done birthday gift for Christ. And we work to make sure that so many in our community have food and have gifts. But the reality is that work does not end at Christmas. We focus on it. You know, Christmas, I think we, I think we, I think we think of uh, a Christmas carol a lot, how Scrooge got the, got, got, got the, uh, got the food for the Cratchits and, and, and gave them all these things on Christmas. But if you remember, if you remember in, in, in Christmas carol, what he wanted to do was to live the entire year as Christmas. I think that's true. Our generosity and our hospitality should not just extend to the Christmas season, then we forget about it in January, but we should seek to live with the same Christmas spirit throughout all the year. And so just as we've worked so hard during the season for birthday gifts to give gifts to those that are in need, we should work the same way in March or in August. We're supposed to work with the same passion for other people. So we're called to, to, to work to meet these physical needs of all that we meet. But it isn't just that. We're called to work to meet the spiritual needs of others, y'all. People need to hear about Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. They need to have their physical needs met by us as much as we can, yes. But they need to also hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come to set us free. He has come to restore us. He has come to forgive us. He has come to save us. He has come to give us new life. Today and each day. Hear the good news. Christ has come. This law has been fulfilled. This prophecy has been fulfilled. Good news has been declared. Sight has been given. Restoration has come. Not because of human effort, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's our call, y'all. Our call is to live this out. To live out his grace. That's where it starts. It starts with me and with you. And for me and with you, it also starts with us understanding God's love and grace for us. That we are loved. And we are forgiven. And we can be healed. And we can be redeemed. And we can be restored.
got to start with us. And then we've got to live it out. Jesus preached an incredibly short sermon today. <laughs> a, lot, a lot shorter than the sermon I'm preaching right now. Our words can often be many, but our words never mean as much as our actions. I think back to the Delta, one of the men in my church, Mr. Fred Turner. Mr. Fred was a man of few words, but he was also like the E.F. Hutton guy. If you a certain age, you remember E.F. Hutton. When he speaks, people listen. Mr. Fred would sometimes tell me things. Maybe things I didn't want to hear. Wouldn't say it in a lot of words. But he would say it bluntly, directly, and with grace. But he also, more than just his few words, his life lived it out. He was a man of few words. But his actions spoke pretty loudly. Jesus didn't say much today, did he? This has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's all he said. But if you follow his teaching and his life from there, leading up to the cross and to the resurrection, you saw that his words were multiplied by his actions. As somebody who was kind of verbose, shall we say, I, I've never let one word do when five will do just as well. I sometimes need to learn this lesson better. I need to let my words be few and my actions speak loudly. Jesus says this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he lived out that fulfillment in the rest of his life through the cross to the resurrection to the ascension, and to his one soon, day soon return. For us as well, that's our calling. This truth has been fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus' fulfillment affects us. So let's live it out. Let's allow the truth that we know, that we have seen, that we've tasted, that we've understood, let's allow that to every part of our life and all that we are. Let's live that out boldly. You know, we've been reflecting upon old holy night throughout this season. The reason why the night was holy is the night when he was born. Fall on your knees or hear the angels' voices. O night divine, O holy night. He's been given to us. The law has been fulfilled. The prophecy has been fulfilled. God's goodness has come. It remains today. So just like the first audience, may we hear that. May we hear that fulfillment in Christ. And may we be few in words and faithful in action. For our world needs to hear. And we need to speak. And we need to live. So that we can know 
all the world can know. The joy of Christ. You are loved. You are free. You are redeemed through Jesus Christ. May we live that out for our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of Christ present in our lives. We thank you for his grace, which is new each morning. Help us, O oh God, to live out this fulfillment today so that all the world can know his grace, so all the world can know his peace, so all the world can know his worth. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.